0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pitch Perfect Podcast. We're your hosts, Mihir and Brandon. As usual, we're going to start off each episode by talking about some current events in football
1: and end it with a detailed breakdown of one of history's greatest football teams. Um, We're going to be breaking down a new team each episode, so feel free to reach out to us on our social medias and submit any requests for possible teams you want us to talk about. Okay, so the biggest news in football this week, Beckham Rice to Arsenal, man. What do you think?
0: I think it's definitely a really good transfer for them. He's something that they've really been needing. And they were really close to winning the title over Man City last season before they bottled it at the very end. So I think with Declan Rice, they have a much better chance of taking the title from City this season.
1: Yeah, and I think that it's a position in which, on the eye, it doesn't look like they really need an upgrade because, you know, Partey is one of the best DMs in the league. But I feel like towards the end of last season, his performance levels kind of dropped. You know, remember the game against West Ham, the 2-2 draw, which they should have won. He was yeah. at fault for the goal where he lost it, so I feel like Declan Rice adds more defensive solidity, and I just think he's a bit more technically sound than, Declan, than Thomas Partey, sorry. So I think it's an upgrade, definitely.
0: Yeah, I fully agree there, and I think it'll be really interesting to see if Arsenal could possibly win the title. When was the last time Arsenal has won the league title? <laughs> like 2004? Yeah, I think it was the Invincible season. Yeah, I
1: wasn't even born back then. Yeah, 2004. <laughs> yeah, that was right. It'll really, be really interesting to see if they can win it this season. First time in, what, 19 years? Mm. Yeah. I low-key wanted him, though. Like, I saw the news. Like, I knew Arsenal were going to get it done because, I mean, they've been looking at him since, like, January times. But there was a small bit of me that kind of hoped we'd fight a bit stronger for him because, obviously, we lost Gundogan. I thought Rice would be a great upgrade on him in our system. So, I feel like Arsenal really kind of hit a lick with this one, I think. He's one of the best DMs in the world, in my opinion. And I think the price that they got them at, it's a bit absurd, but I feel like in today's market, you are not really going to get cheaper for a DM. So I feel like it's a decent price as well.
0: Yeah, I do feel like transfer prices have been inflated by so much. Like, it's just, some players, I've just been looking at transfer prices on, like, transfer market. Some players are just so overpriced, but then, like, you look at, like, compared to the other players on that list, it actually seems reasonable. But then compared to, like, transfers from the past decade, they're just so overpriced, like. Think about it. Declan Rice went for almost as much as Ronaldo did, like, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. (laughs) That's, like, crazy to think about. Declan Rice, worth as much as Ronaldo. Like, inflation has just spiked so much this past decade.
1: He's low-key, bro. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, definitely right now he is. I mean, I feel like even though, you know, Arsenal was close this season, I just... I don't know. Every season, you know, you think some team is going to manage to... Dethroned City if they get lucky, and then every season, like this season, we, we most people thought Arsenal was gonna win it towards the end, and then uh, at the very City always finds a way to get it done, right? So I'm not even though they got Declan Rice, significantly better team now. I'm not gonna pick Arsenal for the top. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep my money on Man City. I, just, I feel like it's it's gonna be the safest bet for the next at least five or so years. And in other big transfer news: Arda Guler getting sold to Real Madrid, and I think. I was watching a lot of of him last season. You know, I have a Turkish friend who's been you know talking about how good he is for like over a year and mm. I've been watching a lot of Arda last season. He is one of the most talented teenage players I have ever watched. Really? Like I think he genuinely has the ability to become one of the best teenage players ever.
1: I mean, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, he's great, like don't get me wrong. He he's definitely great, but ever? I mean, I I mean, I value physicality quite a lot. I mean, physically, he's kind of underdeveloped. So, I don't know about saying ever, but definitely in today's market. I mean, he fits that kind of Metzola role that every team uses right now in, like, a free box free. He fits that to a T, so I can see the value, but ever? I I mean, even if he's not, like, that
0: physically strong, like, he has the ability to deal with defensive physicality. Like, guys like Maradona were amazing as teenagers, even though they weren't, like very physically like they weren't very bulky but like usually as long as he's able to deal with defensive physicality i don't think it's an issue so i, I don't I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as marlon i'm not saying he's going to be as good as like pele r9 guys like that but i think he can definitely become one of the best players in the world in a few years especially now that he's at madrid if he gets the opportunities that he needs if he gets the playing time if he gets enough starts in the role that he should be playing then i think he can definitely develop into one of the best players in the league and in the world
1: yeah, the starts thing is interesting because like, I mean, even before this transfer, you know, Real were, they had what, Valverde, Cruz, Chumeni, Camavinga and Bellingham all fighting for midfield spots. And I don't know, I don't really see Aldo Gullera as like a right winger. I don't think he's got the pace and power, as reductive as it sounds in today's game. I don't think he's got that pace to kind of cut it as a winger. So I don't really see how he kind of fits this season, maybe. So, I don't know about him getting starts. What do you think? I feel like... I think he has the technical ability to play as, like, a hybrid
0: number 10 and and winger. Kind of alternating between playing on the right side and playing in the middle. Kind of like how Messi did in his earlier years. Mm -hmm. I think he definitely has the skill set for that. And I think if Madrid... Who's Madrid going to have at right back? If they have...
1: I mean, they're looking at for his that guy from Van but I don't think that's done. Yeah, if they it's, if they have yeah.
0: a a right back that stays wide and overlaps on the wings, then I think Arda can shift inwards a little bit. I think he could play on the right wing if they want him to. Um, I think he could definitely play as a number ten if they shift up th- if they switch around their formation. But I think with the amount of midfielders they have, they're not going to do that. I think yeah. a more interesting question with Madrid's future lineup next season is what are they going to do with Mbappe?
1: He's not coming, man. <laughs> like, there's Real Madrid there's fans, no, no way. Obsessed. He's not coming. It's going to be this the same the first thing first last year. ever gone. Like, I think coming. he's
0: going to come. This season it's going to happen this summer. It's going to happen soon. I, mean, I swear it's It's not happening. No way. Look, I mean, have no you way. seen all the
1: news? It's going to happen. It's going to happen, man. <laughs> nah, I mean, I think if he goes there, though, I think it's a perfect fit because yeah, yeah he, he, people say like yeah he plays on the left Vinicius plays on the left but people forget Benzema has that same kind of left-sided bias and it worked perfectly with Vinicius so i feel like that rotation in my eyes at least i think is a perfect fit like mbappe the kind difference
0: of... is benzema slightly drifts to the left but he still mainly plays centrally like if you look at like his heat maps and stuff it's nowhere near for example mbappe for france right if you look at the way he plays like as an actual winger for France. It's very different than what Benz does. Like What Benz does is similar to what Johan Cruyff did, just drifting to the left every once in a while, kind of playing in that, like a little ahead of the left half space. But it's not like Mbappe, who plays like an actual left winger.
1: No, but I feel like we've seen at PSG, especially on those at Tuchel, when he plays that kind of left-sided striker, he still kind of can play as a lone pivot up front. Yeah,
0: There's no question that he's still going to be amazing playing as a nine or as like a just as a striker ahead of the left half space there's no denying that Mbappe is still going to be the best player in the team and one of if not the best player in the world playing in that role it's just a question of what he's best suited for and what he's best suited for would be playing as an actual left winger and then doing something else with Vinicius but the odds of Real Madrid selling Vinicius are almost zero yeah
1: yeah he's best off the left
0: for sure but for like
1: with these generational players like they can do it all It's it's not a fit kind of sense it's like in the NBA draft not a Boston reference but like how they say don't draft for fit because when you're drafting that high you know pick one pick two pick three it's like you just take the best player available and they'll work it out it's the same thing with football Maya is when you're building your squad it's if there's a talent like Mbappe on the market you don't worry about fit you just get him in the squad and then let the players kind of play let it work out so yeah, yeah I agree
0: with that I think he's he's just too good to worry about functionality like He's, he's just a player you can't pass up on if you have the opportunity.
1: I mean, I'm interested to see how Goulet kind of affects Rodrigo's development path now. Because Rodrigo's a natural left winger, but he's been kind of been a mainstay in that right wing role. And he's really getting good at it. So Goulaire coming in, that'll be an interesting battle. Maybe he leaves to go and actually play as a left winger. So that'll be interesting.
0: Yeah, well, I think with the signing of Goulet, I don't think... Rodrigo is gonna get that many minutes now because and I I think ability wise in terms of just potential glare is much better than Rodrigo Even though I think Rodrigo is very good. So I think yeah I, I think he's gonna show it in practice too So I don't have high hopes for Rodrigo's future at Madrid But I think if he leaves then he can definitely become one of the best players in the world as well But I think with the team that Madrid has now Rodrigo doesn't have a future there.
1: That's interesting. I'm trying to see where he goes Um, okay next topic Pep Guardiola. We talked about how he's kind of, in my eyes anyway, the GOAT manager in the Declan Rice uh, segment and how he's probably going to win the title again. You don't think that. You think that there's someone else better than him. Would you uh, care to explain that? I think
0: Gustav Seves is the best manager ever, and I think it's not just about trophies, right? Like, a lot of people just look at managers based on, like, the trophies they've won, right? Like, Ferguson has, well, almost 50 trophies. People have called him the best manager ever. Or people say Guardiola is the best manager ever because of everything he's done with Man City and all these Monopoly on Premier League titles, everything he did with Barca, the Sextuple and everything. Right, but I think a big part of being a good manager is revolutionizing... The game like the job of the manager is to you know set the tactics for the team and make the team function to the best of their ability so i think you know players that i mean managers that have influenced the history and the evolution of tactics in football should get priority for like the greatest managers ever so i think gustav seves is definitely and he is a combination of both right he has insane amounts of success right if you exclude two of the most corrupt games in history right the 1954 world cup final in my opinion, the worst refereeing I've ever seen and the most rigged game ever. And then a game against the Soviet Union, which was obviously fixed. If you exclude those two games, Gustav Seves' Hungarian team went undefeated for 53 consecutive matches. And even if you want to include the games where they were clearly robbed, 53 games, just two losses.
1: Yeah, but you argument... unprecedented. Oh, downside. that is wrong, man. You said revolutionary. You can't hold that against Pep. Obviously, Seves is going to be more revolutionary than Pep because he... Played in the earlier time when football wasn't that developed, but then the fact that you said that you know Seves went undefeated with a Hungarian team—it's international football. You don't think if Pep goes to Spain, he's not going on like a sixty-game unbeaten one himself? So is fe- he gonna do
0: it across <laughs> international tournaments? Is he gonna like n- this is the difference? Not losing a single game, right? And in the modern era, first of all, international friendlies aren't taken as seriously. Like even within some top nations, like you can see a lot of games where they won't even send their best players or their, like, best 11 to international games. Like back then, international friendlies between Top nations were taken as seriously as major tournament games. Has he managed club football? Tibis?
1: Yeah. A little, but I don't think he really... <laughs> so you're saying that international coach, who had never managed club football, is the greatest coach of all time. I'm not buying it.
0: <laughs> what exactly is he no in international football? I mean, it's not like he's done it in both.
1: No, right? but... It's obviously easier to rack up wins if you're an international coach than playing club football where you're playing more often against higher. It's not teams. just
0: about the winning streak. All right. And first of all, even at the club level, even just looking at league games, Pep has never had a stretch that dominant. Right? Football is yeah.
1: inherently more difficult to rack up those dominant, unbeaten runs than international football. It just is. You
0: know, I agree with that. But I'm just saying, Pep has never even come close to a feat like that. Not to mention Pep of dominance across. All the international tournaments he coached for in the 1952 Olympics, 1953 Central European International Cup, 1954 World Cup, just dominating those tournaments. Nobody was even coming close to beating them, and that—that's despite his team dealing with a couple major injuries. He still never came close to losing any of those tournaments until, of course, they got robbed in the final of the 54 World Cup. Yeah, but and obviously then, his yeah. impact on like football. And I'm not holding against Pep. And it like, I'm not saying pe- Pep isn't revolutionary. Like, I know Pep and everything he's done for tactics in the modern era are going to have a big impact, and they already have. But I'm just saying you, we can't ignore the impact that Seves has had because uh, Pep hasn't done that yet. Like, I-, I know he will, but, like, at the present moment, we can't ignore everything Seves has done. That's because Pep is still coaching currently.
1: Okay, I, w- I raised this question to you. How much of Seves' success was due to having, arguably the most talented international team of that period
0: that team was even more talented in let me see sebas started coaching the team in 1949 all right that team was just as good and had just as many talented players before but never came even close to achieving the success whether it's in tournaments or in international friendlies before sebas
1: they okay. never came even close
0: to as good say so that uh, the tactics of the team
1: that's wrong though because it says here army conscription had now enabled him to recruit Koskis, Sibo and Buda. So it wasn't technically the same team. He, that got was a cl- he
0: recruited them to a club team that he wasn't even coaching. The only difference was he was able to, develop, he was able to put those players on the same club side for them to develop together. He, he wasn't even coaching the team. It had nothing to do with... He wasn't recruiting them to like the national team. They were already on the national team. Right? The only difference was Army Conscription allowed him to recruit some of the players to the same club team so they could develop together at the club level. Okay. It's like you got new players in the national team because of that.
1: I just don't see how you can look past the fact that he's been the most dominant figure in football in the most difficult era of football ever objectively. The most talented, the most tactically dominant, the most physically dominant, like Tell me how many of, how much
0: of Pep's success is due to having a good team? Tell me because we, we can't deny that Man City's current squad is one of the best teams ever. And Barcelona's squad mm. went under Pep. Is man for man, the I don't best think so.
1: I don't think so. The City side, qualitatively man for man, I don't think it is. You're saying Nathan Ake before this season regards a top 10 left back in the world? No. Akanji, a top 10 right back before this season in the world? No.
0: Holland was Not... regarded as one of the best players in the world. One. De Bruyne was arguably the best midfielder in the world even before Pep. Two. Holland was one of the best players in the world before joining Pep.
1: So two out Plenty of nine of players, players, players that
0: were world class before Pep as well. And as I, nobody denied that he made them better, but you can say the exact same thing for what Sebes did with the players in the Hungarian team. I mean, these guys all hit unprecedented levels of performance under Sebes. Even play, even in the even in, during that same time period, they played way, way better under Sebes than they did under their club coaches.
1: Promise. So it's not
0: like they all—they both made their players better, but it's just a matter of like they both had man. very good teams. Both of their success was due to having good teams. Against Columbus so and
1: Fireman. All right, here we go. <laughs> He played against mailmen, plumbers, and firemen. He's <laughs> not the GOAT, man. Like, me and you could have gone to the England and USA teams back then. Like, the standard of was so horrible.
0: We're comparing Ow. what he's done compared to the other p- coaches in his era, compared to the other teams in his era. Like, isn't it that it, if, if you're saying he did it against plumbers and firemen, he did it with plumbers and firemen, too. So yeah, yeah better plumbers and
1: firemen than the other plumbers and
0: firemen, though. And Sporting yes. also has better players. Are you going to tell me that Man City isn't better than any other team in the world? Are you me that Boston was wasn't better?
1: If you remove Pep from City and I just gave it to another coach, I don't think so. I don't think the well, team a way. What team in the
0: world right now do you think, if you replace Pep with a random, not a terrible, well, I don't even know who I could think of that's a terrible manager, if you replaced him with any other good manager but not like insane? If mm-hmm. you replace Pep with any other good manager, do you still think there's any team in the world right now that could beat Man City?
1: Yes. What team? Real Madrid. They beat them. 100%. 100%. How, How would Real Madrid because, because we've seen with Pep there that they still gave us problems in that first leg. We've seen that. Carl Ancelotti, in my opinion, tactically dominated Pep in that first leg and should have won. I think we were below par. And if you're saying if that same team, if he came up against another manager, he beats them. He knocks them out. 100%. Okay, so you just told me that Pep, according to you, the greatest manager of all time,
0: got tactically dominated by Carlo Ancelotti, who's not even... No, don't contest- disrespect and- Carlo. Let's not disrespect Carlo <laughs> no, I'm no. not saying he's <laughs> bad, but <laughs> okay. I'm saying he's not... He's so better than as well. Oh <laughs> my God. I was better than Sebes? <laughs> what <laughs> has Ancelotti done to make him better than one of the most revolutionary managers ever? Everything that every single bit of tactical knowledge in Pep's head right now come from developments that said that's Sebe. not
1: fair, that's not fair, man. That's,
0: I'm just saying, you can't if, if you're going to if you're gonna tax him for the era he played in, then I can tax Pep for the era he plays in, and I can use the revolutionary argument. Okay, what? it goes both
1: ways. <laughs> There's no way in good conscience. If you're going to complain
0: about the competition no. level in his era, then we can also talk about the fact that he's just so much more revolutionary because of the era that he played in.
1: There's just no way in good conscience you can say that he's a better man than Pep. There's just no way. I refuse to believe you believe what you're saying. Half of, the, half of the listeners don't even know who this guy is. And you're saying he's the greatest manager of all time. <laughs> half of the listeners wouldn't even know who the, team, the other players on
0: the Hungarian team are. And some of these guys are like borderline top 10 players ever. And half of our listeners wouldn't know who they are. That doesn't make them worse players. That just means most people don't know. Because most people didn't no, watch no, team no, they didn't read about the
1: players. He wasn't a good manager. That's why we don't Because know. it happened 70 years ago. We still know who Rilish Mikos is. Because of Cruyff course, managing Barca Pus- was... Yeah, Puskas. Everyone knows who Puskas is. We don't know who that Seves is. People know who he is because there's an award named after him. No, that's not true. That's you, not true. Even, even the really before the country. award, we would have known who Puskas is. That's not true. That's
0: not Nobody knows. Most Barca's know nothing about him. They know that's that he was some no player true. that played for Real Madrid and scored a bunch of goals. They know he Yeah, no but they, they still after. know
1: he's one of the greatest players ever, but they don't know who Seves is. We know who Ria Shmikos is. Everyone knows who Kroos is.
0: Everyone knows who Cruyff is because he coached in the 90s. He coached a Barcelona team that Pep played for. Even and if he has he if iconic. He
1: him, we know who he was. Even if he didn't coach a Barcelona team, we know who Cruyff is. Let's not go. Yeah, of no course way. you
0: know who Cruyff is. Cruyff is also one of the best players ever. Same way we know who Maradona is. We know who Pele is. Yeah, right, that's different.
1: <laughs> nah, we don't know who this guy is. The
0: only man. reason people know who Michels is is because he coached Cruyff. And everyone knows who Cruyff is because he's one of the best players ever. Players and managers are nowhere near the same thing. Like, most amazing coaches from the 60s. Like, Helena Herrera, coach Grande Inter. Most people today won't know who he is. Most people won't know who any of the great managers before the 70s are. How even many? great managers in the 70s that have done amazing things for, like, club sides that are well-known now. Like, you ask about Brian Clough. You ask about... Well, Bob Paisley people will know because of Liverpool's history. Liverpool's a big club. You ask people about Brian Clough in the 70s and 80s. They're not going to know who he is. Most people. Even How many games record. of this guy have you watched? Games? Full games. National team, I've watched what their performance against England in 53, Scotland in 54, 1954 World Cup. Um There was this one from 52, I forgot against who
1: it was. I don't know if I have to estimate, I don't know, 10? So you're saying off of 10 full games, you've concluded that he was the better manager than Pat Gondola, who... I know you've watched countless games of him. Is that what you're but saying? I don't
0: see the connect. It's not like I'm looking at talent. So I don't see what what the, what the connection... No, the no, no,
1: but... Is. As a manager, it's not just the stats and the trophies, because you can be an elite manager and just not Yeah, win. I'm talking about
0: the way he revolutionized the game as well. Like, it has nothing to do with...
1: So, like, him I being the greatest manager of all time is just... In what point of footage
0: is to see, like, the, the ability of the player.
1: No, no, no. And, like, you, when you, when how the manager was like what how tactically good that manager was because you're saying all this impact revolutionary stuff but you you don't think everything he
0: revolutionized tactics for is a testament to that you don't think the way he changed the team and went undefeated for 53 games is a testament to that
1: hey you still haven't told me anything about how how do these teams play what do
0: you mean you're talking about service's teams the hungarian team Uh, yeah (laughs) i think we're gonna have to save a big breakdown of the hungarian team for another episode because i don't think we can fit that here
1: (laughs) okay describe shortly how did how did they play
0: it's probably the earliest version of the... Honestly, it's very similar to Pep's teams in the early... When, when Pep played for Barca. I mean, not played for Barca. Coach Barca. So very similar Pep, to the way Barca Pep played. That's your
1: barometer for how a good manager's team should play?
0: Well, if San Bes's team's played the same way, doesn't that only make him look better in your opinion? No, but it's
1: just, I just find it interesting that you use Pep as the barometer for how they played. I use Pep as a modern <laughs> example. <laughs> no, you Pep use... is a modern example because I'll use no, him because no, no. he's the one that... You, you could use Plop. You could use anyone else, but use Pep. And you know why you use Pep.
0: Because Pep is better than all of them. Oh. Pep is better than any of them.
1: But he's just not better than this one guy.
0: I literally think Pep is the second best manager ever after Seves.
1: That's disrespectful, man.
0: How is number two disrespectful? <laughs> it's like saying, is it disrespectful to put Messi number two after Pelé? Or Pelé number two after Messi? Is it disrespectful? Even That's face conversation
1: for another day, but I think so, yeah. Disrespectful think... to put number, uh, Messi number two. I think Pelé is quite, quite, quite far from Messi. Oh, I'm gonna get clipped, but it is what it is. Yeah, I wait. Like, wait, wait, wait.
0: <laughs> quite far ahead or quite far behind.
1: Quite far ahead. Pele is very, very clipped.
0: Okay, heart. okay. Then no, there, I agree with you actually. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, I I another
1: conversation. But yeah,
0: yeah. No, I mean, I okay, fine. I, I think that was a, see, because I actually think it's a bit disrespectful to put Billy number two. So I, I, it wasn't a great example. I was hoping you would disagree. So I could use that example.
1: I'm familiar with your game, man. I know exactly what you wanted me to say. Man. Oh, exactly. All right, let me let me think of a better example. Huh. who do you think is the greatest goalkeeper of all time? In my eyes, probably it's between uh, I like Lev Yashin. I watched him play and he was so far ahead of his time, but Manuel Neuer is come I'd go Lev Yashin. Lev for me. All
0: right, so Okay, see, this is- again, you agree with me. It's, it's hard for me to use these examples when you agree with me. I can't use these examples, man, <laughs> making it impossible.
1: Is there everything else you agree with me on? Damn. It is- it's just disrespectful to put Pep number two in my eyes. Like, you just can't- I, Like, I, I get where can't. you're coming from with how modern football
0: is just a lot harder, tactically at least. And I get that you're saying that revolutionary argument isn't fair, but I don't think you can- well, for one, I don't think you can just um, throw aside his winning streak because it's international football, because even in international football, nobody else has done that. So, like, nobody else has come even close to that. Like, the longest winning streak I can think of, or undefeated streak I can think of in international football, is like 30-something games by Roberto Mancini in Italy, and if we're looking at the longest winning streak that actually spans multiple tournaments, I can't think of anyone that's gotten over... Well, I, think, I guess Scaloni in Argentina. They yeah, got, I'm like, 30... say
1: that's due to the subpar competition he faced. And Just how much better football's gotten, that no one's ever going to get close to that.
0: Well, that kind of the whole concept of football evolution applies to the entire era. So, if you're going to say like subpar competition, like compared to his team, there were other teams there that were like at least at a similar level for a part of the time there. Like, for example, oh, wait, in wait, 1953, no very few people thought Hungary was going to beat them. The game, yeah, now, yeah, now that, we, yeah. we've seen Hungary yeah, I now, we know that, more yeah. about that team right? Yeah. We know Hungary was a better team, but back then, very few people thought Hungary was going to win at Wembley as well. And Hungary won 6-3, to three, handed in their first loss at Wembley in history. And that was because they attacked. It wasn't because the team was much better on paper, right? Because on paper, looking at just the players, the team wasn't even that far apart. But it was the tactics. Like, first of all, well, mainly because England wasn't very tactically advanced at all. And Sebes changed everything. Like, he, his revolution, he just absolutely destroyed them. It was a, the only the whole reason Hungary won that game was because of tactics. Because they oh, used the switching the forward lines to confuse the English defense and open up so much space.
1: Didn't they? did they use the false nine as well? I'm so sure. Yeah,
0: he was one of the first coaches to use a false nine. So I'm just saying <laughs> these developments are the whole reason that football is more advanced today. Like you can't say football is more advanced today and use it to, to discredit CBS, when Sebastian is the reason football is more advanced today. One of the uh, very key reasons. I just yeah. don't think it's fair to penalize him for that.
1: Yeah, I kind of see why you think he's number one, but I just, ca- I just can't I get. it. He has the combination shit, of man.
0: tactical tactical innovation. He's got tactical innovation. He's got trophies and success. Probably the most successful international manager ever, right? And he's got tactical innovation. He's got major influence on football history. And of course, he's built one of the best teams, probably the best team of all time, if not second. the best international team of all time, in my opinion. So I think, I think again, I'm not saying I don't understand the case for Pep to be number one. Like, I, I get it perfectly. Uh, I get Jimmy Hogan as well. Those are the three players, I mean, three managers that I think have a case for the number one spot. But I just don't think that you can, like, say that it's disrespectful to put Pep 2. Like, I, I don't think it, it's the gap is that big. Right? I think they're all very close. they all have a great shot for the number one spot. I just don't think you can say that there's a big gap between any of them.
1: It's just hard for me to rank these pre-war. just For me, it was oh, just pre-war. It was the 50s. <laughs> Even just pre-backpass football, for me, is just so hard to rank because, again, we haven't seen enough... For me, a manager, like, what makes a manager great in my eyes is just, I don't care about how many trophies you won, it's just on-pitch performance, tactically, how good are you? And I just don't get how anyone can be tactically better than Pep, I just don't see it. I well, know. it's
0: an era thing, you gotta compare them to their era standards, and according, like, compared to their era, Pep was obviously ahead of his, uh, ahead of every other manager in this era, tactically, but the same thing goes for service as well.
1: Yeah, I kinda see your point, I see why you have I just... Yeah. I just I, can't, like,
0: I, I get the whole concept of footage that, you know, there's only around 10 games or so of Sebes of, of coaching. So I get the whole thing about, like, if you can't watch that much, it's harder to rank. Right. But I don't think you can use that because, like, I think if, if you're going to say that it's hard to rank them without watching, then you'd have to leave them off the list completely. And you'd have to say like, oh, I'm going to start from the 70s. Or I'm going to start nine, Or you have to pick a starting point and then say between this period. But I can't. I don't think you can just say one is better simply because you don't have enough footage in your opinion of the other. I don't think you can make that claim. The same way you can't say you, you don't think I can say Sebes is better. You can't say Sebes is worse either.
1: Yeah, yeah, I hear that. All right,
0: see, I think either one of the case I just, I think Seb's is better personally. I've got Pep two, Jimmy Hogan number three. I think you can interchange any of those, but those are those three and Helenio Herrera at four are like the tier one of managers. I don't think anyone else is on their level.
1: I'd give my rankings, but I'm probably gonna get absolutely cooked.
0: <laughs> yeah, we can do another episode about best managers ever
1: another day. Yeah. And
0: for what you said about how Seb's team played, we will definitely get a much longer detailed breakdown of that Hungarian team. And speaking of historic teams, this week's team Covering is the
1: Galactico. Yeah, uh, a very interesting team because of their kind of lack of success in terms of the squad that they had. They didn't really achieve much as we thought they would. Um, it started off quite well because you know in 0203 they had won the league title and uh, they'd won it for the last two seasons. Won the Champions League as well. Zidane scoring in that final. But then 0304 and onwards they kind of faltered a bit after the David Beckham signing and they didn't really win anything past that
0: point. I think a big part of like their drop off was uh, losing my which like when they lost Redondo they signed Makalele which you know Mm -hmm. kept that defensive presence in the midfield but after losing that Zidane had a lot more defensive responsibilities and he was a terrible defender which you know kind of hampered him on both ends with that responsibility so I think that was a big part of why they dropped off after losing Makalele.
1: Yeah definitely and I think that you know Having Zidane play as a number six in Europe was never going to work, and despite all the talent they had, it kind of lettered their downfall. Another reason why they didn't achieve that much was the firing of Del Bosque, who won them their last two Champions Leagues, won them the last two uh, La Liga titles. And, you know, he had troubles with some of the players, you know, Hierro, Morientes, McManaman, who were kind of the main four players of Real Madrid at that time, and him being sacked led to Carlos Guelos being hired, who was a United assistant, and he clearly wasn't ready for the job. And that led to them tactically being quite inept, and the star power couldn't really make up for anymore.
0: Yeah, it just shows that, you know, just a bunch of good players all on the same team doesn't automatically guarantee success, and doesn't automatically guarantee having a great team. Like, the team needs to work together, they need to be one functional unit, and that's not what the team was. Like, they had some of the best talent we've ever seen. They had some of the most amazing names on the team they had Figo they had Zidane R9 Ramos young Ramos who's actually really good even in his younger years you know they signed him in 2005 right after he won uh, La Liga Breakthrough Player of the Year with Sevilla so they had a great team they had Beckham R9 Zidane Macalele, Figo Roberto Carlos Casillas guys like that but they just weren't able to work together as a team.
1: Yeah, and uh, you spoke about Zidane kind of not being able to adapt to that deeper role. What are your thoughts on him during his Madrid time? I think it's actually a significant step up from his time at Juventus. People talk a
0: lot about his time at Juventus as if that was prime, because that's mainly when he was having success with the French national team. But his time at Juventus wasn't nearly as good as his time at Madrid. For one, he was way more consistent at Madrid. At Juventus, he had a lot of spells, especially in the league. You know, in his Serie A games, he had a lot of um, consistent stretches where he was just not playing well. And he would have a couple of good performances scattered throughout the season, but never really consistently great. Versus at Madrid, he was generally consistently playing well. And it has a lot to do with just the composition of the rest of the team. When he's not burdened with more defensive responsibility, he's able to, you know, just stick in his role and function in the role that maximizes his impact. So for example with uh, Juventus, he was able to play so much better in 98 after 97 because after they signed Edgar Davis that summer because his defensive responsibility was gone and he was able to focus on his role as the number 10, as the playmaker of the team. So he wasn't really burdened with anything extra.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I feel that um, the kind of image of Zidane in the public eyes, this kind of all action, (laughs) you know, midfielder who could play eight, could play ten, he could play number six is not really that true. I feel like his best football was always as a number ten. That's the role he played for France, where he achieved success. And that's the role he played, again, after 98. And I feel like him playing deeper was kind of, for me, one of the main factors that led to their demise. I think that, that Madrid team, while they didn't really achieve much in terms of on-pitch success, they were very, very influential in terms of what they did for the off-field for football. Particularly how they went on tour to Asia, I feel like, you know, now it's kind of normal for the big teams to go to, you know, Asia, they go to America. But, you know, back then that was kind of rare. Teams would usually have their preseasons in their domestic countries and, you know, go to like, the woods or, you know, go to like a, a beach. It wasn't very developed, but I feel like them kind of going to Asia, playing friendlies against the teams over there it kind of, you know, led to other teams making that decision as well. So while they didn't achieve much on the field, I feel like they were very, very influential off the field. Yeah,
0: it's actually very similar to what Santos did in the 60s, although it's obviously for a different reason. Santos was mainly touring Europe to make a name for themselves and to make a lot of money because they didn't get paid that much uh, playing in Brazil. And that's a lot of the reason why they skipped out on the Copa Libertadores, but it's very similar to what they were doing touring Europe and playing against the best European teams in the preseason and sometimes during the actual season. You know, it was very similar. You know, they had a huge impact off the pitch because of the publicity that they got and obviously the players, the relationships that they built on those tours. So it's very similar. And I want to think, I want to talk about the amount of money that this Madrid team spent on yeah, these it transfers. That's crazy. Years. Just <laughs> in the just this first six years here <laughs> Perez. Look at this. They, I, I got a whole list here Figo, 60 million. Macalele, 14 million. Zidane, 74 million. <sighs> R9, 45 million. Uh, Beckham, thirty-seven and a half million. Uh, Owen, nine million. Robinho, twenty-four million. Ramos, twenty-seven million. And then even before, like they never spent nearly as much, even on good players before. Like Tierral, they signed for one million. Uh, Roberto Carlos, they signed for like three and a half million. Orientes, six million. Uh, Salgado, eleven million. That was their most expensive one. And then they broke that. They broke the record that they set with Salgado seven times under Perez in the wow.
1: first six years alone. Yeah, that's funny because, you know, you know, as far as I know, transfer fees were never that high during that period, like seventy-five million, that's like, obviously, maybe today's you wouldn't really get that a very talented player. But, you know, the last five years, if you spent 75 million, you're getting a top, top player. And for them to be spending that much in the 2000s. Yeah, that was kind of kind of insane. And it kind of led to the inflation and transfer market in general. And. You know, maybe the Ronaldo signing was more of the kind of mark point for transfer inflation, but they definitely contributed to that as well.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, prices are so much. How much do, do you think? Uh, let me let me pretty flat. So all in all, they spent about two hundred ninety million on those players. And today, see, today that would get you maybe two world class players. Like, for the price of Mbappe and Holland combined, it would be way more than that.
1: But Two hundred
0: ninety million 100%. back then. Today, that's like over one billion on all these players. It is a massive spending to transfer Like, I don't think any team in history, until the modern era, has spent that much money in like a span of just a couple years. Yeah, and the reason they were able to afford all of that is because they sold the club's training ground for 480 million. So you know, this 290 million was really nothing compared to what they made from the training ground, and they cleared it all of Madrid's debt as well. So they were really able to spend a lot more than any other club during that era would be able to.
1: Yeah, yeah. And another thing is, while they didn't really achieve much on the field, the money that they made from this period was absolutely like insane. Like, Perez definitely, 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 I feel like he came off the better of it rather than the players because the profit that this generated for Real Madrid despite not winning was crazy. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And that will be all for today, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Once again, feel free to reach
0: out to either of us on social media with requests of teams for us to break down or topics for us to discuss. And we'll see you in the next episode.